Well, good morning, everybody. Just while you're getting ready, I'm just going to hand over to Johan to lead us in some praise and some worship. And let's get into the presence of God. Uh, for us, this is the Lord's Day. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm taking it out of the biblical context, but nevertheless, we can add it. Um, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go into the house of the Lord. So we can't do that, but we can we can do this. So I was glad when they said, <laughs> this is a 2020 scripture. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go live stream. <laughs> so bless you, Jan. Love you. Appreciate you. Thank you so much. Love you. Love you. Oh, Lord. 
signs amaze us and cause him all the world to come. And then the days of wonder, the days of wonder, are upon us. Oh, yes, your days of wonder.
enjoying that so much yeah you're so online when you hear the teaching this morning on the end of the age you're going to hear how those songs fitted in absolutely but maybe oh. while we're just giving people another couple of minutes maybe we can do that i exalt thee again uh, what a time to sing that song oh, wow. I exalt thee. for thou
For getting up early and getting ready and uh, leading us in praise and worship what a day amen and, uh, so bless you um so wednesday morning um i will be continuing hey johan 9 a.m that sounds that sounds fun that sounds i good. heard an amen <laughs> amen bless you everybody i trust that you all well and uh yeah, I know God is good all the time. God is good. He never leave us. He'll never forsake us. All who trust in him will never be put to shame. So we keep believing, keep trusting. And um, so, oh, I just need to switch back to this one over here. Um, there we are. There's Johan. So I've just got to get, get myself up and running now. And uh, speaker view. Okay, gallery view. Um, speaker view. All right, so somewhere I'll get it. Okay, so just get yourself ready and um, <clears throat> get ready with uh, the, the message with, the, with pen and paper if, if you want to, but otherwise um, just listen. Um, there's a lot of information that I want to cover this morning with everything that's been going on. Um, I'm just going to just try this one more time and uh, let's just see. Okay, I am there. Speak of you, hallelujah. So it goes back there. So I'm going to just go back there. So somehow I've got to um, um, pin this one. Let's just see. Put it in the waiting room. Okay, there we are. All right. Um, so, <clears throat> so I'm learning. You can see I'm coming into the 21st century here with this stuff. Thank you, JD and uh, Johan. The other thing that um, I would... Um, like to just mention is that um, I want to continue with this um, series that I'm doing concerning the end of the world. And uh, you will understand exactly why, you know, we're looking at it at this time of the Passover, you know, Jesus being crucified, buried and being resurrected. And we're in the period where he would have been appearing to disciples, to his disciples and to many others, giving convincing proofs, uh, talking about the kingdom. And um, all of those are telling statements um, and you'll see why. So there's been so much about the end of the world, the end of the world. When is the world going to end? It sounds like a lot of these preachers and these guys that are going around teaching, it sounds a little bit, a bit, a little bit like that little fable, you know, about chicken licking when the acorn fell on her head and she ran around saying, the sky is falling. And you know how that story goes and it goes to duck luck and cocky luck and it goes to whoever and they all have, end up in the fox's den and he eats them. <laughs> so they can never get to tell the king that the sky has fallen in. So remember that um, 
And this is really, really important for you to understand. And I just hope this is not going to be too deep and too intense. I'm going to really try and do justice to this particular topic, the end of the world. So when is the end of the world? So let's go um, and, and just set the foundation. And the first thing is this, that the Bible sheds enough light for its own interpretation. And that is a key thing. The other thing is that in Isaiah, he tells us to find the mate of every prophecy or every scripture, and then, you know, prophecy will be fulfilled. You can't take random verses. I just want to go back and refer to one of the great reformers said, the Bible contains enough light for its own interpretation. So, which means that every book in the Bible, including the book of Revelation, is understandable from the Bible itself. Now, you've got to really know the Bible well. The book of Revelations um, really has imagery and has vision language and, and um, spirit language that is threaded throughout the entire Bible. And, and so if you have an understanding of, uh, you know, Genesis to Jude, then you can start having a look at the book of Revelation and to really understand it. So the scripture is, is, um, it sheds enough light. In his light, there is light. The entrance of thy word bringeth light. And it's, first of all, Christ-centric. In other words, Jesus is at the center. He's foreshadowed in the entire Old Testament, revealed in the New, made plain in the epistles and letters and all the way through. But also, he's the primary interpreter of Scripture. So his words are really important. I mean, he reinterpreted the law. He reinterpreted the kingdom, Matthew chapter 5. He reinterpreted the laws, what the law's attitude to those uh, caught in adultery were supposed to be from John chapter 8. And so it, it's really interesting that on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, was it Cleopas and another disciple, when uh, they were doing that journey and Jesus opened up all the scriptures, the law and the prophets, and explained how it all spoke about him. So he's at the center of scripture. And uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3 tells us that in the past, in many and various ways, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by one who is a son. And so he's the best interpreter of the word. So now I, I'm, I'm just going to just pose those two questions again. Why am I preaching and teaching this now at the time of Passover to Pentecost? You know, why am I preaching it now? And the second thing is, um, you know, it will become clear as we proceed. But the second thing is that I, I want to mention is that why are the other doctrines um, producing so much fear there's so much confusion so much fear and the amazing thing is they teach these things that are so fearful they'll take a amount of time half an hour or whatever and they'll preach fear into you and then they'll end it off by saying but don't be afraid you know don't be, don't be fearful you know when they've got dragons and beasts and great tribulations and things, things like this then they tell you not to be afraid so they try and cast the fear out of you with one statement after they've preached it into you for ages. All right. So, um, so when is the end of the world? And, and what are the last days? You know, when are the last days that the Bible refers to right from the Old Testament into the New Testament? I mean, you can find it, you know, in the last days, right back into Isaiah chapter two, um, I think in verse two, and then it goes all the way through um, Joel chapter two, and then into the New Testament. And then, so Wednesday morning at 9am, I want to continue with the subject and just look at um, a little bit of concerning his coming and the signs of the times that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24. So, all right, all right, are you ready? So the whole, 
you know, main scripture is found in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus is exiting Jerusalem and he looks around at the temple and the disciples are chatting to him about the temple and Jesus more or less says this different gospels, you know, break this temple down and I'll rebuild it. And they said, well, it was like 46 years to build it. You're going to do it in three days. But Jesus said this, I tell you, a time is coming, a day is coming where not one of these stones will be left on top of the other. So when they got out onto the Mount of Olives, the disciples gathered around him and they asked him three questions. And those three questions are all answered in Matthew chapter 24. So they basically said this, tell us when these things shall be. So when is it? And, and I want to start just helping you understand from scriptures, not from events that are happening around us, from scripture. Number one, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign or the signs of your coming? And number three, and what shall be the signs of the end of the world? Now, a lot of people are talking. I was just listening to one guy recently talking, you know, now the horsemen are starting to run. Now the black horse, the dark horse is starting to run. You know, and it's, it's not biblical because what, why, is, why is it now and not on any other age? You know, just because we're in a little bit of a sort of a global <laughs> pandemic, you know, you got to understand I've been around long enough to have heard every single view, every single interpretation, and every one of them are wrong, and never one of them go back and apologize and go, gee, uh, we're really sorry, so it wasn't television. Oh, gosh, sorry, it wasn't the computer. It wasn't the stiffy disk. It wasn't the floppy disk. It wasn't the barcode. It wasn't the chip on our credit cards. It wasn't the Pope, you know, because his PO box was 666 and all of those kind of things. No apologies. You know, they go on, and then they come up with another theory, another theory, another theory. It's not biblical. So Jesus said, um, you know, basically, he then launches into 24, and he answers those three things. So he starts to tell him when they will be, he starts to tell him what are the signs, and he tells him when the end of the world will come. So the amazing thing is that as, he, as you go through Matthew 24, he talks about wars, rumors of wars. He talks about earthquakes and famine and things like this. He talks about false Christs. He talks about false prophets. And listen, if you go back into church history, you will see that, that um, after the time of Jesus, there were a lot of those things happened. And, you know, it's not just our time. Those things happened historically recorded in those days. Um, he talks about the great tribulation. But before that, he says, you know, when you see these things, you know, these are the birth pangs. It's not, we're not quite there yet. Um, you'll be delivered up, you'll be betrayed, the love of some will grow cold, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, the abomination that causes desolation, but it won't be. The gospel of this kingdom will be preached in all the world as a sign. And there is a sign that he preached, that, that, that he indicated the gospel of the kingdom. And I'm going to cover these between the next few sessions, Wednesday, probably the following week, Sunday, and the following week, Wednesday. So, so in other words, but the key verse that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 24 and in verse 34, he says this. Now, remember, he's talking to the disciples and he's talking to a crowd of people on the Mount of Olives. And he says, this generation, not the generation, you know, now, he says, this generation that I'm talking to, you guys, and the generation that you belong to, this generation shall not pass away until all of these things be fulfilled, all all of these things be fulfilled. So I, I got to repeat that and go back to you because you've got to lock it in your mind. So in other words, the signs of his coming, the signs of the end of the world and the destruction of that temple 
um, with all of the accompanying things that happened, which was in AD 70, with the besiegement of Jerusalem and the destruction of the, 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 the temple, where literally the Roman soldiers took every stone off of each other because with the burning down, the fervent heat of the fire melted the gold and it ran down and, and they were literally picking out the gold and plundering um, even the molten gold that had gone cold, obviously. And, and, and so Jesus was saying, this generation, this generation shall not pass away before all these things. All, all these things shall be fulfilled. Now, if you look it up in the Greek, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, all means all. So I'm being a bit sarcastic, sorry. And so it was to those who were listening. So to understand the end of the world, you need to know the differences. And, and this is where, you know, um, Christians have been accused of, um, you know, that our scriptures contradict. Because over and over again, the Bible tell us, Bible readers tell us, the apostles, the, they all expected the coming of Jesus to happen in their lifetime. So were they wrong? You know, these people who wrote scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself, you know, the book of Revelation, you know, repeatedly says what must soon happen, what must shortly uh, come to pass. Jesus himself said it in Matthew 24. You will not, when you preach this gospel, you will not be going through all the towns before these things happen and before the kingdom comes. So was Jesus wrong? You know, was he wrong? So we need to ask ourselves those questions because they are pertinent, they are relevant, and they are really, really important. So the use of the word world, world, when Jesus said, that, you know, when the disciples said, when will be the end of the world? They understood that something was going to change, something radical, and the world was going to change. So when is the end of the world? So the Bible uses three words for world. And whenever it's used, interpreters, preachers are the biggest culprits um, um, and lead people astray. Um, and then we, when we read the Bible, you know, we put um, the world, world for the entire world, you know. So the word world in the Greek is cosmos, cosmos. And um, so that refers to the whole world, the entire world with all the people in it, the planet, everything. And so examples of those are, for example, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, when the devil takes Jesus up onto a high pinnacle and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, cosmos, and says, if you bow down and worship me, I will give them all to you. And then, of course, John 3, 16, famous, famous verse. For God so loved the world, cosmos, the whole world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, but have everlasting life. And then Matthew 5, 14, you are, you are, you are, you who are listening to me, you are the light of the world. First of all, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And even that is a, a bigger statement than, than what you think. Now you are the light of the world, cosmos, the light for the whole world, a city that's set on a hill cannot um, be hid. Matthew 16, 26, what shall a prophet a man if he gained the whole world, cosmos, but lose his soul? And um, so <laughs> anyway, I was going to say something, but forget it. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 34, you know, when... Um, Jesus talked about the kingdom that was prepared for us from the foundation of the world, and that's the cosmos. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 3, 19, the wisdom of this world is the foolishness of God. So that's the whole world, the cosmos. And um, so obviously, 
we understand from it and, and we need to discern and, and just do a little bit more accurate reading, a bit more study to see, you know, the world is cosmos. So when Jesus said, when the disciples said to Jesus, posed the question, when is the end of the world? I'm coming to that. So that's what we're dealing with. The second word, word Greek, Greek word used to translate world is oikomene. And oikomene is um, basically, it's terrain. It's a terrain area, part of the globe. For example, the Roman Empire. Now, one day we were originally we were from Zimbabwe and, uh, you know, we, were, we had gone up to visit family when we had family left there. We were coming back and my daughter was, you know, just little, uh, you know, five, six years old, seven years old, somewhere around there. And she was dozing um, in the car as with as were her, um, her brothers. And uh, we took the off ramp off the highway onto the on ramp that is on the road close to our suburb. And she kind of roused up from her sleep and looked up out of the window and she said, oh, Dad, we're back in our world now. You know, I've never forgotten that. And basically, Oikomene is talking about my world, you know, and our world. So um, this is the world that we live in, you know, not the globe, but our area, our terrain. So there's many, many examples of this. Um, and when Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, he said, the gospel of this kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. That world is Oikomene, which means in our area, in our terrain. That's why he also said, you will not finish going through the towns uh, of Judea um, before, before I come. You won't get through all of those towns before, before the, these things start to happen. You know, um, in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it came to pass in those days that they, were, that they went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, that wasn't the entire cosmos. That was the Roman Empire, the Roman world, all the world. And so there's example after example after example of that. And so, you know, Paul says it. Sorry, someone's going on passing a motorcycle. Paul says it. He, he said... Um, uh, he said about the Romans, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Again, oikumene. And then he talks about the fact that the gospel of truth, which has come to you as it has in all the world, is bringing forth fruit, oikumene. And so it goes on and on and on. Paul says it in Colossians 1.23. He said, the gospel which you've heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, oikumene the Roman world, that particular area. And so we can go on. So all the world here meant the inhabited world that they knew in their day. And, and that world, Paul says, heard the gospel. Then, of course, there's another third word for world. And I hope you're following me, and I hope it's not too difficult. Just you, you can respond. You can ask questions. You know, you can go on Facebook. Uh, I can't promise to answer all the questions um, on Facebook, but I will try to answer them next week. A lot of people have been messaging me and saying, what about the market abuse? What about the Great Tribulation? What about, so what about it? No, joking. I'll get on to it. So Eon, you know, when Jesus um, was speaking to them and um, the disciples said, what shall be the sign of the coming? When are these things going to happen? The, you know, the destruction of the temple. What shall be the sign of the coming and of the end of the world? The end of the world there and the disciples understood it wasn't the end of the cosmos. It wasn't the end of the oikumene. And they used another word, when is going to be the end of this eon, this age, these generations? When is going to be the end of this? Now, I need you to listen to these scriptures because this is going to help you. It's going to change your understanding of the Bible. I'm telling you, I've studied 
maybe 40, 50 hours just on this message, you know, not, not you know, all the hours around us. I mean, it's weeks and months of study into this, but the coming at the end of the world, the end of the eon, the age. And so, um, so the three worlds, so they weren't saying, when is it going to be the end of the cosmos? Like the planet is going to disintegrate. They didn't say, when is the word of Ecumena, which means our, our known world, the Roman Empire and surround. They weren't saying that. They said, when is going to be the end of this dispensation? I don't like that word, but in, in other words, you know, this era, this period of time, when is it going to happen? Because, you know, they had enough savvy to understand that's what was going to happen. So listen to what Hebrews uh, chapter one says. And from verse one, God, who at sundry times, the King James says, um, sundry times and in diverse manners spake in, in, in time past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days. Oh, my word. So there it is, the last days. So Pastor John, when are the last days? Well, here it is here. Hath in these last days spoken to, unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also, listen to this, he made the worlds, plural, plural. Now, it doesn't mean to say, in, um, you know, in the cosmic world, you know, cosmology or whatever it is like this, um, that he has created other worlds, you know, other planets with other beings and other worlds. And a lot of people get that wrong as well. He's talking about... He's talking about the fact that, that he made different eons, different ages. He made the world, yes, Genesis 1, um, and, and heaven and earth and so on. But he made worlds, you know, periods, eons, these dispensations that God created. And so Paul tells us here that in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. Now I need to ask you, the crucifixion of Jesus, when Jesus came, is that still future or has that already happened? Can I have an answer on Facebook, please? That's already happened, has it not? Just about 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. Galatians 4, I think it is. In the fullness of time, God sent for the Son. Even that fullness of time is a loaded statement. God sent for the Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And um, so he came uh, to redeem us from the law. So he was born into time and space at a particular time. And Paul says that when he came and he spoke during his ministry, it was the last days. The God who creates and by him the worlds were created. And that was the last days. First Corinthians 10 verse 11. Paul talking about the Jews through their wanderings and um, through the wilderness and coming into the promised land. Their negative example, he says, served as examples for us. They are written for our admonition. First Corinthians 10 11. Um, upon whom for our admonition now remember particularly he was writing to the jewish audience upon whom the ends of the world are come so who did the ends of the world come upon the jews the jews um, i hope you're getting this i hope you're getting this this is bible this is not newspapers this is not cnn this is not world events this is bible interpreting the word with the light that it has to its own interpretation so the ends of the world were coming upon the Jewish nation. Um, Hebrews 10, 25, he says, don't forsake the assembling yourselves together, you know, encouraging one another more so you see the day approaching, the eon, the age, okay, the world. And um, so, I, I mean, and you know, it goes on and on and on and on. I'm just scrolling down um, to just have a look, you know, um, at a couple of them. 
of Ephesians 3, 9. It says, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. So that beginning of the world is eon. And so uh, it says to understand the fellowship of this mystery, you know, which is Christ, uh, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and for generations, which is made manifest to the saints. So he's talking about the fact that it was hidden in age times. So it was hidden maybe in a, in a prior age, but it became more, more apparent in the, uh, the Old Testament era, that particular world, that particular age, but it became manifest in the New Testament world, New Testament age that we're in. I hope this is making sense uh, to you. Um, it's really interesting. So many scriptures change. I went through every single scripture um, and I've got reams and reams of those scriptures and it changed my understanding. You know, a lot of them I knew. I changed my understanding of a lot of other scriptures. Um, again, just seeing it. For example, in Hebrews chapter six, verses four to five, where people talk about, you know, if we backslide, it's impossible to come back. Those are the legalists. You know, it's impossible to ever come back to the Lord and things like this. For it is impossible for those who once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, who were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, you know, if they fall away to come back to repentance. What is Paul talking about there? Remember, he was on this side of the destruction of Jerusalem, which I'll talk a little bit more about now. And he was basically talking to the Hebrew Christians who were also being influenced by, by the Jews to go back to the Jewish faith. And Paul is talking to them and encouraging them and saying, listen, you've tasted the gospel. You've tasted it. You've become a partaker of the Holy Spirit. Why do you want to go back to the law? You've tasted the power of the age to come. Talking about the full establishment of the kingdom post AD 70. And, and he said, because if you reject Christ, there is no other means of salvation. There is no other sacrifice for sin. So that's what the powers of the age to come was over the hill of AD 70, starting from death, burial, crucifixion, resurrection of Jesus going through the, 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 the next 40 odd years or 30 odd years, yeah, 40 odd years, nearly 40 years to the destruction of Jerusalem and for the full establishment of the kingdom where the, um, you know, where the Jewish religion was fully dismantled with the destruction of the, the temple. So Hebrews 10, 37, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and he will not tarry. Now, it's amazing to me how all these preachers that talk about this, you know, Jesus tarried for more than 2,000 years. Well, why can't it be 4,000 years? Why can't it be 6,000 years? No, no, he tarried for a little while. And so we can go on and on and on. So eons, eons. Um, so there's the cosmos, there is oika dumene, and then there's eons. So I hope you're understanding this and you can start to see where I'm going. So you need to say a good amen if you can and uh, respond. And so the four worlds. So if there were ages, if there were worlds, how many worlds did Jesus create? You know, there's three, possibly four when I look at scripture. And, uh, you know, three of them, I think I can show you a lot of scriptures for maybe the fourth or not, but, you know, that will become clear to me. But there was a world from Adam to Noah. And, of course, that world was destroyed by water. And Second Peter tells us that that world, that world was destroyed by water. So it wasn't the entire world, you know, the cosmos. It was the world as far as, you know, the people on the planet and things like that. 
And so it was a dispensation. It was an age. And that age had a heaven and earth. I'm running ahead of myself. It had a heaven and earth with, with uh, principles that governed it. And then, of course, from Noah to Moses, and then from Moses to Jesus, and then from Jesus onwards, um, forever is another eon, another age. But the age that Jesus was particularly talking about was the age, the world from Moses up until him. Because all the law and prophets, he says, were until John. And, uh, and, and so that was an age. It was the world. It was an eon. And so basically the disciples knew uh, when they said, when is this temple going to be torn down? What are the signs of your, uh, of, of your coming and of the end of the world, of the establishment of the kingdom? And when they said end of the world, end of this particular age. And so um, it's important for us to know. So let's have a look at it. So from biblically, when is the end of the world? So, Pastor John, are you saying that this world is not going to end? Hmm. Stick with me. Let's, let's see. I'm just messing with your head a little bit. Revelations 13, verse 8. Now, you've got to understand, Revelations 13, verse 8 is part of the canon of Scripture. It was written to a group of people who would see it fulfilled. I do not believe that the, word, that the book of Revelation is a futuristic book. It was written at that time, and very much like Genesis Book of Revelation stands at the, the, the end. It's almost like the two are parentheses, um, the book of visions, where John was caught up in the spirit, Genesis, where Moses was caught up in the spirit, by and large, where he wrote, especially the beginning bit. And, and, and so visions, and that's why there's so much similarity between the garden in Genesis and the garden in Revelations 22. And so it's, it's the book is Revelations chapter one, verse one, most of the Bible writers wrote what their purpose and aim and the theme of the book was. And in Revelations chapter one, verse one, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to his servant John through the angel. And so revelation doesn't mean closed. It's revealed. It's open. And so why does everybody think that the book of Revelation is a sealed book and they've got private interpretation somehow, you know, and, and, you know, and now it's being fulfilled. Who says that you've got the key now? You know, you've got to put it into the context of the word. Remember, it's in the volume of the book. Um, Jesus said that in um, Hebrews chapter 10, in the volume of the book, it's written about me, the volume of the book. So we have to look at the volume of the book to find out what it says about Jesus. So Revelation chapter one, verse one, the book of Revelation is the revealing. It's the unveiling of Christ. Now, time is running. And so I'm going to have to hurry a little bit so that we can get through this. So Revelations chapter 13, verse 8, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it says this, John writes, he says, all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life, in the book of life. And the book of life <laughs> is, is the record of all of those who are believers, okay? And so whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So the lamb slain. So we, let's not go into the book of life. I've got a message on that. So the book of life is, um, is, is a record of all of, you know, so God knows who, who are his. So the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Okay, sorry. I've just got a message that I disconnected. Jan. Johan, I'll reconnect him. Okay, let me see where I can do that, participants. Let me just re-invite Johan. I somehow put him in a place. I would have gone back there. So, 
So let's see if Johan joins us over here. Thank you. Ah, Johan is there. Okay, I hope you can all see me. Sorry, Johan. Um, so you've got to understand, um, Johan is back so he can come in with the praise and worship a little bit later. So the, the Lamb's Book of Life. So, so the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. Now I want to ask you, when was Jesus crucified? Was he crucified before the world began? Before the creation of the world? I mean, that's, that's just, you know, nonsensical. That, uh, you know, he was, he was crucified in time, in space, um, in this world, at a particular period of time. But John tells us it was the foundation of the world. And some of you are running ahead and you're really clever. So it's not the foundation of the cosmos. And, and understand it's not before the foundation of the earth. It's the foundation of the world. And that word world, there's eon. So Christ was the lamb slain at the foundation of this eon that, that we're talking about. And, and so and a lot of people preach these fanciful messages, you know, before even the world was created, Jesus was crucified. Yeah, in the mind of God, in the plan of God, before all eternity, God knew what he was going to do. But listen, he was not killed. The, you know, crucified before the world began. He had pre-existent glory. He was there present with the Father. So come on, we got to get it right. So he was slain at the foundation of the world. Which world? Which world? So we got to have a look at um, the fact that Paul says in Hebrews chapter one, you know, he's, he's um, spoken to us by his son, you know, in these last days. So it's got to imply that Jesus came at the last days of the previous world. That would be the Moses world, the law world. So Jesus was born into that world because he tells us that in Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, he sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So he came in the last days of the world of Moses. But then when he was crucified, it was the foundation of the next world. Remember the fourth world or the third world that I was talking about, which is the world of Jesus, the world of um, Christ, the world of Christianity. This is the day of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord. And so, um, um, so this world has a foundation. So anyway, let's have a look at Luke 6, uh, 46 to 49. Jesus said, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you who he is like. He's like a man who built a house. He dig deep, laid a foundation on a rock, and when the flood rose, the streams bent vehemently against it. So this is the wise builder. So he digs down until he finds rock and he puts a foundation. So a house has got to have a foundation. So this world, this new eon that we're in, has a foundation. What is the foundation? Isaiah 28 verse 16, Therefore thus saith the Lord, God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. So in other words, uh, the foundation of this world, God already prophesied it. And this is a highly quoted verse in the Bible um, that God dug down and he laid a foundation. So Christ was crucified at the foundation of the world. But more than that, not only at the beginning of the world, um, and the founding of this world, Jesus is the foundation. Psalm 118, powerful, powerful passage of scripture. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord. Now, what is the gate of the Lord? Jesus said, I am the door. Revelations 4, you know, John looked up and he saw a door open into heaven and he sees the throne. But Jesus is the door. So he's the, he's the door to the spiritual realm of the kingdom. So the gate is Jesus. 
And the gate really is the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. So the, this gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become our salvation. So Jesus has become our salvation. He is the gate. That was the cross. It says, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our, our eyes. So listen to this. We can quote this verse correctly from now. This is the day which the Lord hath made. What day? Not Sunday, not Saturday. You know, this is the day that the Lord has made. The day when he started a new eon, a new world, a new age by the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, by the crucifixion of Jesus at the foundation of this world, he laid a foundation. So he said, this is the day that, which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, you heard that a little while ago when I preached about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is the verse they quoted, which now is Yaza prophecy, Yaza prophecy, the mate of the prophecy comes together. So these verses are connected to the crucifixion of Jesus and all its surrounding events. So Jesus was rejected. Now, listen to this. The night that Jesus was betrayed. The night when he was handed over to the temple guard, the night when Judas came in and betrayed him with a kiss, Jesus said this to them. Did you never read that in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. There's a lot of cross quoting here. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God talking to the Pharisees shall be taken away from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but whosoever it shall fall on will be ground. It will ground him to powder. So now Jesus is saying, it, um, the, the cross now is fate accomplished. He's on his way to the crucifixion. So he's saying, you guys, I'm the stone that you've rejected. But this stone is going to be the chief stone, the cornerstone. You need to fall on the stone so that this stone doesn't fall on you. And, and it basically goes to them and says, the kingdom is being taken away and given to another. Aren't you so grateful that Jesus chose us on that night? He was looking outside of the Jewish world and he was looking to the Gentiles and saying, it's been given to another that will bear its fruit. And of course, the Jews can be included, but now it'll be by faith in Christ. So Isaiah 53 verse 3, it tells us Jesus was despised and rejected of men. John chapter 10, well, 1, 10 to 13 says, um, though he made the world, the cosmos, the world didn't know him. Um, but it says, but then he came to his own, that's the Jews, and his own received him not. They rejected him. Now, what happened when they rejected him? Peter says, quoting these same verses in Acts chapter 4, 10 to 12, I trust that you're enjoying this. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, um, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, uh, doth this man stand, and this was the healing of the layman. He stands before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught, which was rejected by you, builders. Now, the Pharisees were supposed to be builders, builders of God's house, builders of the kingdom, but they rejected the chief cornerstone. So the amazing thing is, uh, Paul tells us that he laid, 
in uh, um, First Corinthians chapter three, he said, "No other foundation can be laid other than I, one I laid, and that is Jesus Christ." And he forms part of the foundation with all of the apostles and the prophets. But Jesus is the foundation. You cannot build on any other foundation than the foundation of Christ. So let's go back to Revelation thirteen verse eight. Christ was the Lamb slain at the foundation, the beginning of the new world. But not only was it the foundation of the world, he is the foundation of this world. Christ was laid in as a foundation. The stone that the Pharisees rejected became the foundation stone for the new edifice, the new temple, the new world, this new eon, this new age that we live in. So Hebrews 9, 26, um, you know, the Bible talks about it. Paul says, you know, you know, if we reject Jesus and we don't accept the sacrifice, must he have often been suffered, uh, have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, listen to this, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice for himself. The end of the world. Come on, listen, I hope you Christians are listening. Come on, church. When was the end of the world? It was the end of the ages, the last days. And he was saying the end of that world, the foundation was laid and he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. When did that happen? Come on, about 2,000 years ago, the end of that world happened 2,000 years ago, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, his ascension, the outpouring of the day of Pentecost, climaxing from um, Pentecost to Holocaust, from, you know, to the destruction of Jerusalem. So, you know, he died at the end of the world, which marked the beginning of a new age, a new world. So Galatians 4, when the fullness of time came, I already mentioned it. So in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10, he talked about um, the sacrifices of Moses. He said, um, were meats, he said, and drinks, diverse washings, carnal ordinances, fleshly ordinances imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. When was the Reformation? When was the restitution of all things? Another verse. Um, you know, when was the renewal? All of these things was the cross of Jesus when there was a reformation of the old world into the new world, ending one sacrificial system, introducing one sacrifice forever at the end of the age, at the end of that world. That's when the world ended. Come on, Christians, you've got to start reading your Bible. That was when the world ended. So when the disciples were saying, what will be the signs? When will all these things be happening? What will be the sign um, of your coming and of the end of the world? This is what Jesus is talking about. These things will happen all prior to the destruction of Jerusalem. But first, my crucifixion, that will signal the end of that age, the beginning of the end of that age. I will be laid down. I will be the foundation of the new world. But at the same time, I will be the gate. I will be the door that all can come in and find righteousness apart from the law. Amen. This is powerful. And so Peter says this in chapter 2, verse 20, 1 Peter, who verily, talking about Jesus, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, Eon, he was foreordained before the foundation of this world that we live in, but was made manifest in these last times. So come on, church. When are the last days? Not some fanciful preachers that have pulled out events that are happening now and newspaper cuttings and you know, things happening on television. There it is, the last days of the Moses dispensation, that third world or second world. Um, that was the last days. Then comes Jesus, end of that world, beginning of this world, lays a foundation. Now we are in a new age. Please say amen. Somebody, Halga, somebody shout amen. You know, please give me an amen. Andre Blachnot, say amen. Shireen, amen. So, amen. Um, 
Acts chapter 2, verse 17, quoting Joel chapter 2, verse 28. It says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. When will the Holy Spirit be poured out? In the last days. Come on, we've read it, but we've heard all these other preachers and we gloss over it and we don't realize what the Bible is saying. Now, I've given scripture upon scripture upon scripture um, concerning this. Uh, Paul tells us that, that his whole purpose is not to build on any other man's foundation because there's only one foundation, Christ. And uh, Ephesians 2.20, we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So now, um, it makes sense now when Peter says in 1 Peter 2, that when we come to him um, as unto a living stone, which was disallowed of men, it was rejected by men, but chosen of God. This living stone was precious. It was, and, and we as living stones are also being built up as a spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Come on, this is the new world that he's talking about. So we are of the same building material as the stone that the builders rejected. We are now living stones. So stone upon stone, we are being built into an edifice and a house. So when the world changed, so you've got to get this, and I'm rushing now because I don't want to use too much of, and, and it would be too costly for your data. I know for some of you, it's less expensive, but when there was a change of world, there was a change of heaven and earth. And I'm starting to set the platform for Wednesday. When there was a change of world, biblically, there was a change of heaven and earth. So when Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 12, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall burn with a fervent heat. The earth, I've got to explain that to you as well. That it does not mean that this cosmos is going to disintegrate and blow up and every atom, you know, the elements, the atoms going to, going to be destroyed, you know, some great holocaust you know it's amazing how these end time preachers can never fit it all together quite you know I, I think i'm doing a better job than them humbly and so the day of the lord will come as a thief and a great noise the elements shall mount with a fervent heat the earth also and the works that are in there shall be burned up and so all of those i can explain all of those verses but this was really referring to the physical jerusalem seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of person ought you to be living in holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall mount with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, we, you know, um, Peter says, we are looking forward for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, he's not talking about pie in the sky heaven when you die he's not talking about after death he's talking about we when we get through this we'll be living in a new heaven new earth the home of the righteous it'll be a new world a new eon a new age not a new cosmos you know with a new uh, with new skies isaiah 65 verse 7 you know isaiah prophesied it for behold i create new heavens and a new earth and the former one shall not be remembered nor come into mind I've got to refer to these verses. These scriptures are just racing through my mind now. But Revelations 21, verse 1, and I saw in heaven a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Man. So in other words, it's talking about the heavens before 
had passed away. And now there's a new heaven and new earth. It's the home of the righteous. This is our home. We built on Christ. The edifice that, you know, is being built up. I heard Johan there briefly for a moment. We'll join you soon, Johan. So it was, you know, through it over and over again. Revelations 1 verse 1. Uh, uh, John writes, you know, things that must soon take place, shortly take place. You know, shortly and soon is not more than 2,000 years. So I've just got to rush now. The world, the eon that we live in has got generations, this world. So Paul says in Ephesians 3.21, in fact, in, in chapter 2, verses 2 and 7, you know, that the ages to come are coming upon us. But in Hebrews, but in Ephesians 3.21, and we, we love to quote Ephesians 3.20, now unto him is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask, think, or imagine. To him be glory in the church throughout all generations now and forevermore. Amen. But, but verse 21 continues, and it says, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, eons, in this world, that period that we live in, world without end. Selah, pause, reflect, meditate on these things. Dissolve, digest. Pastor John, are you saying this world will not end? It's exactly what I'm saying. There it is in scripture. So in other words, the dispensation of Christ is the world without end, world eon, age without end. And so there's not going to be another change of heaven and earth. So it makes sense of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, where he says, listen, you know, don't refuse him who speaks. You know, he shook the heavens and the earth. So that which could not be shaken will be remain. He says, you are receiving, you know, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So what did God do? He shook that previous world and removed the heavens and earth, was rolled up like a garment, and he removed it, and he established a new heaven and a new earth, a new unshakable kingdom. In other words, this kingdom will not experience another shaking. World without end. So the last days and the end of the world as I come to a close, um, and then Johannes is going to lead us. And maybe we can sing days of wonder again. He didn't realize how prophetic he was being. Um, the, when you listen to those words of that song. So let's just see. So we review. What was the end of the world that the disciples and Jesus were referring to? When Jesus gave the signs, he said, I want to tell you, these are the signs, false prophets, false Christs, wars, rumors, wars, earthquakes, famines. Those happened in those days. He talked about the fact of the abomination that causes desolation. We'll talk about that. He talked about that the gospel will be preached in all the world as a sign. We talked about that, you know, the fact that it was the then world, the Oikumene, and um, not the eons and not the cosmos. And so the end of the world has to be biblically. We looked at it. The end of the world was the end of the Jewish age. In the last days, God spoke to us by his son. We were sent in the fullness of time born under the law. And in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. He was then crucified at the end of that world, became the foundation of this world. This world is without end. Now, I really hope that's clear to you. So in other words, that world was the world of Jewish religion, Jewish law, the heaven and earth that belonged to it, the ruling, overruling principles, the authority was coming to an end that heaven and earth was being rolled up like a garment, Hebrews chapter one, and being cast away. Um, you know, the stars fell out of the sky, the moon, you know, those are all signs um, because it was a judgment because they rejected 
Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, the stone, the builders rejected. So was Israel being judged? Yes, they were being judged. Was it the day of vengeance? Yes, it was the day of vengeance. And we'll talk about it. Was it a day of wrath for them? Yes, it was a day of wrath for them. And, and so because of their rejection, but they can now be included in Christ and become, can become part of this house. They are the natural olive. We were planted in by faith, but the as the wild olive, but the natural olive can come back in through faith in Jesus Christ. And so it was the end of the law world. It was the demolition of the temple because they were so stubborn. God gave them a generation to repent, you know, and they still didn't repent. They still didn't change. They still didn't come and they clung tenaciously. And so God allowed as a judgment, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple system, because Paul says in Hebrews, as long as the first one is standing, we cannot fully enter into the second one. And so that one had to be demolished. And uh, um, so that was the last day. So we live in a new heaven, a new earth, the home of the righteous. Now we need to occupy. But, but what it means is that we have a new system. We've got new principles. We've got a new covenant. And that's what it means in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The time is coming when I'll make a new covenant with you, the Lord says. Your sin and unrighteousness, I'll remember no more. I'm going to refer to that on Wednesday. You're going to see how it all ties in. So we have a new priest, a new temple, a new covenant, a new commandment. We are new creatures in Christ. Behold, the old has gone. The new has come. I tell you, it's really, really exciting. And so we're in a new world. We have a new Jerusalem, a new heavenly city. We are the new Zion. We are a, the new uh, a priesthood, a royal priesthood, because that's how God chose Israel, but they rejected it. Um, and so, yeah, I think that we can bring this to a close. So why did I want to teach it? First of all, it's biblical. Secondly, it's going to remove a lot of fear. I promise you, I promise you. It's, we're not coming to the end of the world. I promise you, even if they introduce a vaccine, it's not the mark of the beast. I promise you it won't hinder our buying and selling. That will still continue. That all happened at that time leading up to the end and the destruction of Jerusalem. And so, you know, oh man, you know, I could carry on and on and on. So the m main reason why I wanted to teach this because I want to eradicate the fear, number one. Number two, I want to give you knowledge of the word. Number three, it's because the establishment of this world happened around this Easter, this Passover period with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we are in the new heaven and the new earth. We are in the new age, the new world, and we have a new high priest. We have a king. We have a leader. We have the captain of the army of heaven is on our side. Come on. He's given it to us as our inheritance, this world. He became heir of all things, and we are joint heirs with Jesus. Come on. The Antichrist is not going to take over. That's another thing. The Antichrist was already in the world then. John says it. How is it that people are still looking for an Antichrist? Are you telling me that we don't even have enough authority in us to cast the devil out of somebody who's in the personification of a demon or is the church of Jesus Christ that week if we are filled with the Christ? So no fear in Jesus' name. And so please tune in on Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. We're going to share communion around this as well because um, I'm going to just focus on that you know, new covenant. You know, you know, I don't believe that we're in a covenant. I believe we're in a testament. But let's call it the new covenant that we're in. And so, wow. Um, Johan, are you there? Bless you. And uh, sorry, I cut you out. I was just trying to. No, it's good. What a word. What a word. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pastor, for that word. I think it's so necessary in this time as well.
Yeah, we've got wow. to eradicate the fear doctrine of the this end time thing. You know, and people wow. open you know revelations to private interpretation. I heard one guy saying, "Now the black horse is running." Who says it's <laughs> now? I mean, they the horses were there in in Ezekiel and yeah. Zechariah already. Yeah. You know, the horses began to run at the crucifixion <laughs> of Jesus. That's when the yeah. trumpets and the vials and all of those things were released. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, Amen. man. We're in for a good time. We're going to have glory. The glory of the earth is going to cover all of the earth as the waters cover the sea. Sing us that song Amen. as we, we bow out. Thank you, Amen. Nancy, for joining. Thank you again. Are we in for the best times? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And when the young men see the visions, and when the old man Dream the dreams, your sons and daughters speak the words, they're speaking words of a prophecy. And when the earth and the skies are filled with blood and fire. Then the days of wonder, the days of wonder are upon us. Oh, yes, the days of wonder, the days of wonder are upon us. And when there's thousands, Filling stadiums with glory falling down like rain. The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, or oh, the mutants singing, the dead are raised. And when the rulers of the nation. All cry out, how can I be saved? And then the days of wonder, the days of wonder are upon us.
days of wonder be upon us. Oh, this is our cry, your days of wonder, the days of wonder be upon us. Mm-hmm. Let your days of wonder, the days of wonder are upon us. Wow, beautiful, Johan. Oh, awesome. Thank you. You blessed me with that. When you opened it this morning, <laughs> my heart was so encouraged and so warmed, man, you know. This world is uh, not going to end. We've received an unshakable kingdom. There are shakings, but it's not the shaking that the Bible talks about in Hebrews. And uh, this kingdom is not going to be removed. You know, it's the world without end. And uh, those prophecies have not come to pass. Habakkuk 2.14, you know, the glory of the Lord shall cover all of the earth as the waters Amen. cover the sea. Amen. And so I believe that we're going into a time of exceptional um, great revival. I believe, you know, um, my view is this, uh, Reynard Bonker said this once, and um, it was part of, it was many years ago, it must have been 1980, somewhere around there, as before a lot of people were born. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he said this, um, I was very young then, but he said this, the devil will never be able to point his bony finger at Jesus and say, my lie was more powerful than your truth. Amen. Because you know, that there'll be more in, let's just use old fashioned language, more in hell than in heaven. Oh. And so, um, and I believe that as well, the truth of Christ will triumph. And um, there's more uh, people alive on earth today than has ever lived in all of history. Now imagine that you get a worldwide revival. You know, a lot oh. of these end time preachers, you would think that the devil is more powerful than Jesus, you know? And um, if one man is possessed with you know, the devil, and he's the antichrist, he can take over the whole world, you know, we can cast Mm. the devil out of him, you know, so the church, the glory of the Lord will fill all the earth, so, amen, you believe that, I know that, amen, no, this is awesome, and uh, like you're talking about the lies and stuff, and and the fear, and the devil can do nothing except deceive us, lie, it's all lies, but the Holy Spirit leads and guides us in all truth, so that's, but this word sucks. I'm I'm still chewing now. I'm gonna get my bubble now and just go through it again. Wow. That was thank you. I so studied much. I, I studied from Friday afternoon the entire Saturday, the whole of Saturday. I sat till oh. late last and I was up at four this morning, just running through it again. You know, there's scripture upon scripture upon scripture that cancels out a lot of what a lot of these people are teaching. Yeah. They're instilling fear. So yeah. um ACF, bless you. Thank you for your continued love and support and you know, so many of you, I see your tithes and offerings coming. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you that Amen. you're obedient to the Lord and you know how to stand. And you, it shows me that you understand um, biblical principles for your finances. And thank you for your love Amen. and support and your messages. And we Amen. really appreciate you. And to everybody else watching out there from all over the world, bless thank you for joining us. Thanks, Johan. Thank you, Taryn. We love you. So I just speak the blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ upon you. Jesus came. And he didn't have a bad news message. He had a good news message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he said this, you know, that there will be troubles, there will be difficulties that we're going through. But he says, but I give you my peace, my peace, not the peace of this world, which is transient, which is subject to conditions. He said, my very peace, which will guard your heart, soul, mind um, in Christ Jesus. So speak peace to you, to your body, to your soul 
to your spirit. May you be sanctified in your entire being in Jesus' name. Love you all. Bless you. Bless you, hon. Thank you. See you Wednesday morning, 9 a.m. We continue and with communion. Love you all. Bless you, bud.